and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Lorraine Marshall and the podcast is Mindset, Money, Success. And today we are going to talk about something which is a bit of a taboo subject and that is domestic abuse. And I have a guest. She is a domestic abuse lived experience speaker and her name is Samantha Billingham. Hello, Samantha. Hi, Lorraine. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast today to talk about domestic abuse. Brilliant. Now, the first thing I want to go through is I've seen these like letters that you have in your social media profiles. And the first one is MTAB and the other one is SODA. And now I've noticed you've got IDVA. So can you just like explain what these are, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll start with SODA first, which is Mm -hmm. survivors of domestic abuse, because that is initially what I am. I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. I was in an extremely controlling relationship about almost 20 years ago now. And once I escaped that relationship, I decided to set up SODA, which is a domestic abuse online support group. So it's open to men and women across the country who have experienced domestic abuse and it's a safe haven for them to come together without judgment. So it offers empathy, understanding and just support for each other, really. Yeah. Uh, so that's SODA. Mm-hmm. The second one, MTAB, is something that I set up when we went into lockdown um, through COVID. And MTAB stands for more than a bruise. And I wanted to highlight and, and shine a spotlight on coercive control because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we talk about domestic abuse, we focus purely on the physical side and it's quite easy to identify those, those warning signs, but it's not as easy to identify the early warning signs of coercive control or controlling behaviour. So throughout the whole of December, I um, shared on my social media platforms an image and a quote. So, for example, we had Amanda Redmond, we had um, Karen Brady, Matthew Wright, a few celebrities also um, helping raise awareness of coercive control. And I had so many people get in touch with me off the back of that once they'd seen the campaign and they actually understood a little bit more about coercive control and controlling behaviour. Mm-hmm. And they actually recognised that, that in their own relationship. Um, So that was quite a powerful, quite a powerful campaign. Um, And the latest one, IDVA, I am really excited about this. So I've been doing this work on a voluntary basis for almost 20 years now. And IDVA stands for an Independent Domestic Violence Advisor. Mm -hmm. And I actually start my training for this course next week. Um, So once I've done this training, I will be specialised to actually support survivors and victims of domestic abuse in a much stronger capacity than I've been doing for the last 20 years. So I can um, I can help uh, approach um, orders, I can go to court with them, I can just support them in a much stronger way than I've done for the last 20 years and that's really what, that's really what I'm all about and what I'm passionate about is supporting victims of domestic abuse and just letting them know that they're not on their own and that there is life after domestic abuse. I think that is a massive um, thing that is needed, to be quite honest, because I've been through having to report to the police. And even though I was instructed by the gender violence hotline in Spain that when you report, you need to have a solicitor or lawyer present, right? 
And when I went to the police station on my own with no translator, the police officer told me, you don't need a solicitor to report. And I was saying, well, I, I've been told, no, 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 you don't. Well, I was totally in shock. And so I just reported what I reported and it didn't go through the system in a good way. And so it was dismissed in court months later. I've reported October 2020 and in January 2021, the judge dismissed the case. And I was like in shock and I was like, right, okay, it doesn't matter. It's gone, whatever. It's a nightmare. So I understand I where you're yeah. coming from with yeah, this. Absolutely. I don't think people, as in the professionals, I don't think they really understand how really difficult it actually is to make that call to the police, to make that final call to, um, you know, make that statement. I left and reported him several times. I made a statement and I always withdrew it because he told me he loved me. It would mm -hmm. never happen again and we're going to live happily ever after. And obviously that never happened. But when I made my final phone call to the police, I was petrified. I was absolutely petrified. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being in the living room. He was upstairs. He was an alcoholic. He'd just come yeah. back from the pub. I was downstairs and I was literally cowering in the corner of my own living room on the phone to the police. I was so scared. I was just whispering. The poor lady on the other end of the line couldn't hear what I was saying. But I was so scared to speak in my normal voice in case he heard me and came yeah. down. Yeah. Then the and police then... came and, and social services were involved. But to make that phone call, because we know what our perpetrators are capable of, we know what could happen to us. We, we know. And the outside world, they don't. So no. looking out in it's so easy. Oh, why don't you just report it? Why don't you just leave? If it was that easy, we would. Exactly. It's not that we can't, it's not that we don't want to. It's just not safe. It, it's sometimes it's safer to stay because there was always signs and symptoms of something that was going to happen. So I could mentally prepare myself to stay safe. But once you've left and you're constantly looking over your shoulder and you don't know what's going to happen next, that is more intimidating than, than anything. And I don't think people, even the professionals, I don't think they still understand how difficult it is to mm. make that report and then to be told wrong information or, you know, it, it's just a domestic or for it to all be minimised, it's just terrible and it's awful and I, I really don't see anything getting better. We, we moved on, we're talking about it a lot, but I don't really see where the support is for victims of domestic abuse and I don't see those things improving at all. Mm. If I can just let you know a little bit about how the Spanish system works, because in Spain, they have this gender helpline. Um, you're meant to go to the police station with a solicitor or a lawyer if you want to report. And it's within 72 hours, it's in the court. 72 oh, wow. hours. Oh, wow. I was shocked, totally shocked. Wow. Right? It's that quick. And that was 2020 and it was COVID and it was still in the court within two days, right? Wow. And the other thing is that once you get a distance order or whether or not the court says yes or okay, we believe you, then the woman gets free financial assistance. They get financial assistance. It's 400 euros a month for like up to a year uh, because they recognize the situation that a woman's in. And the other thing is that um, they get access to psychological help. Free wow. psychological help. 
And I'm wow. like, I'm sitting here in Spain as an English woman looking out at what the UK does for women and thinking, hold on a minute, this is like completely different system yeah, for women. Absolutely. Even though it failed me because I was so in shock, I couldn't articulate what had happened. Yes. Right. And yeah. I, I really needed someone like you or that solicitor who advised us in the first place absolutely. to be by my side. And if that didn't yes. happen. Yes, absolutely. I I went through the family court as well, and it's the most horrific thing I've ever been through. Um, I just, he'd already threatened to take my daughter away from me, told me I was a crap mom. So when you're told things like that continually, you start to believe them. So in a a court, which is really, really intimidating anyway, Mm -hmm. um, I was just petrified and it was just horrific. But there's no, for me, there didn't seem to be any communication. I, I didn't have any support. Didn't even have a helpline number or anything. It was kind of an eight-week awareness course of everything I'd been through, and then that's it. You're fine. Just get on with it. Didn't have any counselling, nothing at all. Um, And what I do with SODA, Survivors of Domestic Abuse, I have um, a counsellor who works alongside me. So with some of the ladies, men and women who come through to me, I have the opportunity to refer them for counselling at least because... Mm -hmm. The waiting list for women's aid and things like that, they're, they're put on a waiting list and sometimes they're forgotten about. And it's some of these victims, you know, they're suicidal, they've been through so much, you can't afford to put them on a waiting list. You've got to get some support, something in place for them really, really quickly. So that's where soda comes in. So yeah. we sort of bridge the gap. So when somebody refers to me, I have a chat. That's either on the telephone, a text message, and then they're in my group within half an hour. So mm-hmm. they've got that security of being in a safe group with people who really understand what they've experienced. That sounds a good uh, way forward. I wish I had something like that. <laughs> a lot, so many people have said that, and it is literally just an online support group. Um, mm. But it's knowing that you're not on your own. So like your experience as well, being there on your, it's so intimidating and you can't think of questions to ask at the time because of everything you've been through, what you're going through. You can't think of the questions that maybe an IDVA or a solicitor would be able to ask on your behalf. So if you Mm. haven't got that support, it's just all really daunting and this is what society just doesn't understand at all. Because I think sometimes in the relationship, it's it's a there's hidden forms of abuse. This is how I've wrote my book. Basically, it's on hidden forms of abuse because you don't realize you might have been in an abusive family when you were a child and like a teenager, and you've grown up in an abusive situation. And that when you actually go into adulthood and form a relationship, then what is abusive is normal to you. And yes. so you you just it's think you just think oh well it's part of a relationship. Until you then read about what abuse is and then you go, oh. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) this is what the MTAB campaign threw back um, because my passion is raising awareness. I didn't realise I was in an abusive relationship until I came out of it. Like you just said, I I just thought it happens in all relationships. This is normal. And it is the controlling behaviour that we don't see and we do tolerate it and accept it because 
we don't know any different because we don't necessarily talk about those things. Yeah. And sometimes it can be seen as care rather than control. Mm-hmm. So for me and a lot of others, it happens at the honeymoon period of the relationship when everything's new and exciting. And it's something as simple as, don't go and see your mom tonight or don't go out with your friends. And then you think, well, okay, you're staying. But then you see your friends and your family less and less. And you don't see that as the isolation stage where they're taking you away from everyone. So no one can see the difference in you. You've got no one to reach out to. You've got no one to talk to. And that's exactly what happened to me. And then before I, as I, when I realised what was happening, I was in too deep and I've got, no got no one to talk to. I'd lost my job, lost my friends, I lost my family. So then it became more normal. Yes. So you just kind of put up with it um, and... You do that because you you love that person. You fell in love with the the caring and and charming person. And then before you know it, there's this controlling perpetrator that times you when you go to the toilet. Everything was controlled um, in the relationship I was in. I couldn't go to the bathroom on my own. The only place I could go was shopping. And then Mm. I was bombarded with phone calls. He'd get his mum to phone me. There was just, I just got no room to do anything at all so that just became my normal and I didn't know any different yeah. and that's when I realized that I'd been controlled I, I was given um I now believe it to be a women's aid questionnaire and I read everything on there and I just remember bursting into tears and crying because everything was about control mm-hmm. and I never saw it as control until I read it there in black and white so that's why if anyone follows me on social media, that's why I always talk a lot about coercive control because that's how it starts. It doesn't start with the physical. Some some people aren't even physically hurt at all. I know lots of people who, who are completely controlled and that's why I try and raise as much awareness for others as I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the coercive control, I think there's different levels of that control. And I'm, I've read, oh, well, there were, Tell us, you don't look good in that dress, why you're wearing that and things like that. But for me, I never saw all of that, like, control. Um, It was different in the relationship I had. There was conditioning and grooming in the relationship. So that was how I experienced it. But he was dominant anyway and in control of all of the finances and of the house situation and that was completely opposite to the two experiences I'd had before because I was the woman I was in charge of making the decisions on the budgets and the bills and paying all of the utilities and everything and shopping and to be dependent in a relationship was a completely new thing to me and then after the devaluation, the de- de- degradation, the-, the humiliation and all of these other things that happened, then I realised I'm trapped. <laughs> Besides, I was even in a different country altogether and I was in Spain, so I was even more isolated than some yeah. women find themselves when you you can't speak to your family because you don't talk to them anymore that you know you've tried you've reached out but then they don't want to communicate so it's really really difficult and I and I still didn't even understand that I was in that type of a relationship to be honest so I don't think we do and I think because they beat us physically and mentally as well you know my confidence 
my self-worth, everything was just zero. Mm -hmm. And the things I say to you, like the degrading, the humiliation, it's like it's drip fed into you. It's like a dripping tap that's always in your mind. So you start to believe that as well. So you've got Mm -hmm. no, you've got no, you haven't got anything really to kind of give you that motivation to speak out or anything. So you, you do tolerate it for as long as you possibly can. And then for me, something happened and I, I just knew that I had to leave. So he split my lip open whilst I was holding our 10-month-old daughter in my arms. And I knew at that moment I'd got to do something because there was no way he was going to change his behaviour. Yeah. So I was the one who got to do something for the sake of my daughter. Um, so she, she saved my life. She's the whole reason I'm here because if I'd never had my daughter, I would never have seen that what he was doing was wrong. It was only when... I was holding her and if he'd have missed me and hit her and she got caught in it, it was only then I realised how bad things were. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad saying to me, how come you never thought that way about yourself? And it's like, you don't think about yourself. Think about them and how to kind of stay safe. So I was like a robot. I was programmed to do whatever makes him happy because if he's happy, then I'm safe. So you don't even think about yourself at all you just do what you've got to do you just exist in order to obviously stay safe but to keep them happy because once he was happy I was okay so it was really difficult um and then sometimes you don't talk a lot about the impact it has on us so it's been almost 20 years for me but my life's been like a massive roller coaster with my mental health I've had breakdowns and trust was out of the window for quite a long time. Never had a serious relationship since him. It's it's those things that, again, society don't really understand that it has a massive impact on your life once you've managed to escape and, and quite I don't think you really do break free as such. Um, because especially for me, I've got a daughter with him. So there's always some kind of attachment there as well. So mm-hmm. it's learning how to kind of live with the experience of everything that you've been through because in reality I don't think it ever really goes away yeah it's something that I'll probably never forget and I mean I'm 62 now I'm 63 next year and like I still have moments where I can wake up in the morning and the first thing that comes into my mind is like what happened at this point or what happened at that point and then you either have to like think right okay no we're not thinking that we're going to do this now or you speak it out I actually speak it out and I'll say oh yes that's what happened and I actually talk it out of myself and when it's gone I'm like right okay I do and it works for me I don't know if you've experienced that yourself but where I've uh, listen to lots of videos online and there was there's one particular guy who does stuff about narcissistic abuse and he was saying in order to get things out even if you um imagine that the person is in sitting there in a chair and you can then see everything that you wanted to see before to get the anger to get the things out because repressed emotions inside leads to your mental health deteriorating and your physical health deteriorating because emotions trapped in your body cause all sorts of ailments, stomach ailments, cancers, breast cancers, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I um, 
went away last year. I've got a friend who I dog sit for in Wales, and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. So I went there, and I ended up writing a letter to the ex-perpetrator. And mm-hmm. I'd heard lots of people do this, and I was a bit, mm. but once I sat down at the table, got my pen and paper, all these things just flooded, and the emotion, I was angry, I was sad, I still loved him, I hated him. It was just a whole yeah. array of everything. But once I'd written the letter, put it in the envelope, sealed it, I burnt it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a massive release. That's so everything I've kept in for a long, long, long time, it all came out. And mm-hmm. it was like a relief and a release at the same time. Um, so for me, that was a really good thing that I did. But I think you, you don't prepare yourself for the mental impact it's going to have because there were so many feelings that, um, and love was still there. Even after everything that you've done, love, love was still there. Um, but I was angry. I was hurt. I was upset. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was just a release after. And since then, um, I'm okay. I'm, I'm kind of on a, on a level now. I've learned, I, I do a lot of breathing and meditation and all that kind of stuff now, which helps. Yeah. Um, but it's getting to that point and that stage in your life. And I think the one important thing to realize is I'll get a lot of people who ask me, um, oh, when will I get over it? When, when will I be okay? And there's no answer to that really because we're all different and we're all Everybody's unique different. in our own personal journey. So it's always just about taking one step at a time and just one day at a time. And that's all you can do mm. until you find your journey. It, it's not. It's not a competition and it's about learning how to deal with everything that we've survived. Yeah, that's true. I heard from another woman who's been in abusive sort of relationships and uh, family dynamic. She was told by someone who was like a mentor to her that coming out of that situation, you lose a lot of people, a lot of your family, a lot of your friends. They've totally gone. And this person had told her you can sit with the grief and the emotions you can sit with it or as long as you need Definitely. and I thought yeah yeah that sounds absolutely. good yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think I think you do a lot of it in the beginning you're in like a cocoon you're in a safety net and you don't want to talk about it and you don't want to think about it and carry on and then the safety net gets a little bit loose Mm-hmm. And then, but you have, it's something that you have to do in your own time. And I think the lady or the mentor who said, you do lose a lot of people on your journey from victim to survivor. You really do. But something I'm learning now is you're meant to lose those people for whatever mm-hmm. reason it is. Those, you are meant to lose those people. You don't see it at the time. Um, I took everything personally. I thought everyone hated me, but looking out, looking in at the bigger picture, mm. it's happened for a reason, those people that you've lost along the way. And you often find that sometimes they're the ones holding you back or they could be talking, that they could be friends with the perpetrator and they're in the middle. And it, it can get complicated sometimes, can't it? So losing people sometimes can be a really good thing. Yeah, I think. And then what happens is you need to get yourself on a, a a place where you can build your networks and reach out. Because in the beginning, I think your confidence is so low of everything that's happened and 
and you're very victimized by the system because oh, you're yes. victimized by the police, the social workers, the legal professionals, and like you're really traumatized. And so having to get through all of that to get to a better place, right, where you can then feel peace and then think, right, okay, now what can I do? And like yourself, you've actually moved forward into a, a, the basic of the speaking. You've created the two campaigns and then the uh, independent domestic violence ad advisor. I mean, it's just stepping stones all the way, but you do have to realize at some point that you you need to network with people and build Definitely. new networks absolutely and again i'm just learning that i'm now networking with people that i never thought in my wildest dreams that i'd network with the people that you know who, who i'm talking to it's just amazing but i've been hidden for so long and i think i threw myself into soda and setting up soda and helping everybody else that some got left behind again sort of thing but now, um, so so to do the work that I do now, I actually handed my notice in and at a part-time admin job. And I've got a clear vision that this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly where I want to be. And I'm so focused. And for me, it's now about being the real change. You know, I've done a lot of awareness raising and supporting others. I want to, like, really create positive change for victims and survivors of domestic abuse. And I'm in the right mindset to do that now. Whereas mm. five, ten years ago, I wasn't. I thought I was. I thought I was ready, but I wasn't. But now, I really am. I really am ready to push forward and, and do what I can to help victims and survivors of domestic abuse. So you've actually grown massively as a person, the personal development that you've been through from being this young person in an abusive relationship to now someone who is not afraid to get out there and actually speak in front of people. So that's a massive achievement. And now you've pointed it out like that, it really is. And I, all, I, all, um, I did my first keynote speech a couple of months ago and it was the most amazing experience ever. I was obviously nervous to begin with, but once I started speaking and everyone was really looking at me and listening to what I was saying, it's now I'm at the stage where I'm doing it for all the other victims and survivors on, on their voice. They're mm. not ready at the moment on their voice. So that's kind of my drive and my passion pushing me forward. But my personal growth has changed immensely. Even in mm. the last few months, it's changed a lot. Um, and that's because I'm doing a lot of work on myself. So I do a lot of uh, inner work. So I do affirmations and all that kind of stuff, which yeah. really help. So, um, yeah, things have kind of spiralled in the right direction and I'm just really happy and looking forward to the future. Well, that's great that you, you things are moving forward because I, I know for a fact that a lot of women don't get support that they need. They don't have any family or friends to turn to and then quite often, uh, and I've spoken about this before and I've I've written it in blogs, it's like the, um, the emotional energy spiral. I don't know if you've come across that where you've got anger as a certain level, which can then be used to move forward. But sometimes the anger and the sadness and the grief and all of the negative emotions, you get trapped in all of these low vibrational emotions. And I've shared that um, image of the negative, the 
emotional spiral a few times. People who've been through abusive relationships and come out the other end, a lot of them will say, oh, well, I'm here on the left-hand corner, which is like no will to live. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. I mean, I know I was there myself. I, I was on the phone to the Samaritans a few times and having to go crying to my friend, you know, who would pour us a glass of whiskey or something or a glass of brandy. It's like, you know, <laughs> but... It, it's a terrible position to be in and not to have support. Yeah, absolutely. That is the main reason I set up Soda because I, I didn't have any support at all. Mm. And I just wanted to be the support that I never had because I know what it feels like to be on your own. And it's not nice. You're sort of on your own in that relationship, but then to be on your own when you found the strength and courage to escape, it, it's not nice at all. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's it's for me, it's just about people knowing that they're not on their own and also hopefully giving them hope and inspiration that when the time is right for you, your journey, look at all what you can achieve as well because if I can do it, anybody can do it. It just takes time and I think if we don't put a lot of pressure on ourselves and expect too much and just take it one step at a time, we'll definitely get to be where we want to be in life. Yeah, that's true. And um, it's all... Is there anything else that you want to talk about while we're still here? We've got a few minutes left. Um, can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, is there anything you want to ask or anything you want to know? Or Well, I was thinking there's um, one question that seems to be very divisive, right, in the trauma world, uh, people who have been through all these different horrible abuse situations, is the question of forgiveness. Because I see it as a very divisive thing because some will say, oh, no, never want to forgive the person. And others will say, oh, yes, you need to forgive in order to move forward or move on or like. So have you got a viewpoint? That is really, really interesting. Um, so forgiveness for me was really difficult because obviously he's um, the biological father to my daughter. So um there was there's sort of two, I've got two mindsets on this. So obviously for me personally, I've been angry for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, he never saw his daughter. He passed away about eight years ago. So he never saw his daughter. They'd never had a relationship. So I've been very divided as survivor and as mom at the mm -hmm. same time. So for me, I never thought I'd forgive. I don't think you ever forget. You'll never, ever forget what's happened to you and you never forget what they did. Mm -hmm. forgive I'm learning a lot more about forgiveness so my daughter's uh, an A-level student and she does psychology mm -hmm. so she comes back and, and we have kind of all these discussions about mental health and all different things and I'll see things like there's no excuse for what he did and there's no excuse for perpetrators ever but I think I'm beginning to forgive a little bit mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll be able to forgive completely, mm. but I think about him much differently now than I did, say, 10 years ago. Um, and I think that's through talking with my daughter. So she'll ask me loads of questions about him and things that I, I don't necessarily have the answers to, but I'm beginning to see his situation in a different light. And mm. I'm learning that it could possibly be that he mirrored behaviour mm -hmm. in his family. And his mom has very similar characteristics as to what he 
had. So I think it's, it's a really interesting question, and I know I'm waffling, but I think to a certain degree, yes, I have, because I think if, if I didn't, I don't think I'd be able to move on to where I am in my own life now. Yeah. So it's not something that I think about all the time, whereas before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd use it, for example, if somebody asked me out on a date or something, I'd kind of use his behaviour and what happened to me to say no. Yeah. Whereas now, I know not everyone's like that. I know not every person is abusive. But forgiveness, I think it takes you a long time to even think about forgiving. Um, and again, it's an, your own personal choice and how you, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I know lots of people say you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But if we hold on to it all the time, are they not still controlling us? Are they not still there? Are they not still in our life? Have we mm-hmm. got to forgive slightly to kind of move forward? Mm-hmm. Um, a very interesting question. So in answer to that, I think I have slightly, yeah. but I don't think I have fully forgiven. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, because I've, I've studied a lot of personal development and so in personal development, it's like practice gratitude, write a journal and forgiveness yes. Yes. and da 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 in order to get to this better like presence right but I think in some situations like me and you (laughs) that's all very well and good but you know if you've been in that situation your uh, tendency towards forgiveness and gratitude and all of that is tarnished I mean in my situation it was like yeah he was doing this and he was offering this um, money settlement, this, that, and the other, but at the same time, intimidating, threatening, and abusive towards us at the same time, which is very confusing. And you can't just like say, oh, yes, I'm I'm so grateful for what you're doing. At the same time, that he or the person is abusing you at the same time. Yes. And that for me caused so much um, tension, confusion inside. So that was how I saw it, the the personal development thing on the gratitude and the forgiveness and things like that. But I do believe in forgiveness. Yes, yeah. Not, I think I'm sort of getting at that, that stage now where I do. But if you'd asked me five, six years ago, it would have been a complete no, no. Um, but I think we grow and we mature ourselves, don't we, in our well, lives as well. So you have to... You have You've to got to have it. some level of maturity and that, and... Yeah, you've, you've got to sit with some of the emotions as well, like the anger, because like I said, you might wake up and all of a sudden you've like got this memory that's popped into your mind and you just think yes. you really feel that anger and you think to yourself, well, you're not going to take out that anger on someone else, exactly. but you can process the anger in a safer way and then think, right, that's it. I've packaged it out. It's gone. And you can move forward. Um uh, that's when you've got a level of maturity in your life. And yeah. I think it, it's what's needed in some cases. Um, but we're nearly coming to the end of our show here. We've got like a minute left now, so we best wrap up. But it's been great speaking to you, Samantha. And I wish you luck with your um, the IDVA that you start Thank now. You. And are you still continuing with the more than a bruise thing and the soda? Yes, soda has been my baby for a long time. I'll never give up on soda. And I do still share the MTAP uh, quotes on my social media platforms as well because it's a good way to raise Mm -hmm. awareness for others. So I'm keeping on, keeping on. 
Right. Okay. Well, pop me some of your um, social media handles and I'll try to get them putting into the show notes for later. Lovely. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Lorraine. All right. Bye for now. Bye.